Take your Bible and turn your Bible, if you would please, to Psalm 133 tonight. Psalm 133 is our text. Psalm 133 is the 14th psalm in the 15 psalms that make up the songs of degrees. And this has been our series for many Wednesday nights. And we are nearing the end. Psalm 134 will be the final one. And I have put this collection together in a series titled Old Testament Playlist. I've said much about that. You understand what a playlist is. I trust that these psalms will be to you spiritually what your songs are that you have on your playlist to you physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually as well. We said that the 15 break down into a repetitive grouping of five, and there's three groups within the set of five, and the theme just keeps repeating over and over again. And you see the theme of it by those words that are in red, trouble, trust, and triumph. And so when you're in trouble, then you should find hope in these scriptures. When you are needing to encouragement to trust the Lord, these songs ought to ring true. And then when your heart is just full and you have known the triumph of the Lord in your life, then these will help you to know how to reckon his goodness how to reckon his work, and how to give him glory and to give him praise. The psalm tonight is like Psalm 131 and like Psalm 134. It is very short. It is three verses is the totality of the psalm. As I said in Psalm 131, don't let that interpret in your mind as a short message. There's no such thing as Plantation Baptist Church. All right. Verse number one. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Just for my sake, how many already have that verse underlined in your Bible? You have it underlined there? Underline that scripture if you would, please. Brethren, behold... How good it is and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. He gives a description of it. It's like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard. That Aaron would be the brother of Moses that went down to the skirts of his garments. That's an interesting mental picture. Verse number three. As the dew, D-E-W, the dew of Hermon. That would be Mount Hermon. I'll show you a picture of that in a moment. As the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. That's another interesting picture. For there the Lord commanded the blessing. Even, say that word please, life forever 
more. The subject of the, or the title of the message tonight is simply two words, keeping unity. If I was to define the word unity, I would define it as oneness, no division, total unity, likeness, emerging into oneness. If you look at underneath the title of the psalm, Psalm 133, if you have a study Bible, mine says the benefit of the communion of the saints But it says a song of degrees of who? David. We know that David wrote four of these 15 psalms. Solomon wrote one. That's five. We're not sure who wrote the other ten. Some think Hezekiah wrote them. Possibly so. Not sure. We do know that they were put into the collection of songs that the singers would sing as they would make their pilgrimage into Jerusalem. We know that these psalms were chosen to help the nation in times of Trouble, trust, and triumph. It is fitting that David would write on the subject of unity. David was the uniter of the nation of Israel. You know that David, as he became king after Saul, inherited a divided Israel. You know that he was under God's ability and direction and enablement. He was able to unite all of the tribes of Israel. And for 40 years, he was the king of a unified Israel. He handed off that unified Israel to his son, his son Solomon. Solomon was able, with some difficulty at the end, to manage this unification of Israel. But it would be Solomon's son that would destroy the unity of of Israel. You know his son to be Rehoboam. You know that the request came to Rehoboam to lighten the load of the nation of Israel. The Bible tells us that Rehoboam did not listen to the wise counsel of the old men. He chose the stupid counsel of the young men. And he made the task harder on the nation of Israel. Of course, Satan will always offer a counterfeit to God's people for God's man. Satan offered to the nation a man named Jeroboam. Jeroboam was known throughout Scripture, as you read him in the Old Testament, as the man who made all Israel to sin. Jeroboam set up places of worship that were false, set up a worship system that was tied to the golden calves of Egypt and to the false gods of the Canaanites. And Jeroboam made all Israel to sin in this aspect and divided the nation from its unity. You can imagine that later after David and after all that the nations had gone through, how how they would pick this psalm to sing, especially as it finds its lodging inside the second repetitive theme of trust. I'm sure the nation had come to find out that there is strength in unity. The nation had come to find out that it was easier to trust the Lord with national unity than it would be to trust the Lord with national 
divisiveness. This is not something that nations don't even, would not even know today. Trusting the Lord with unity. Unity is strength. David knew it. David finds himself in a moment in his life, we're not sure exactly where, where it's laid out before him. He sees it and he grabs everybody's attention with his pen and he writes, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. This pleasantness and goodness that he is talking about, if you were to search the, the meaning of, those word, of that word pleasant, it, it's the type of pleasure that one gets when he's looking at beautiful descriptive art. Now, if there's any place in the world I don't want to go, it's an art museum. How many like art museums? You love them. Take me with you one time and show me why you like it. <laughs> I would appreciate that. People can stand in front of a painting or a piece of art and get lost. The art can consume them. Their, their vision goes through the canvas into the paint, through the display, and they can see beautiful things and be captivated and be taken different places as the artist illumines and draws. And it, to some, it's, it's a magnificent experience. They even pay to do it. Blows my mind. So David somewhere, after inheriting a divisive nation, wrestling it with God's ability to a position of unity. At some point he stands back and he just admires the beauty and the pleasure and the goodness of brethren dwelling together with unity. Such a, a beautiful pleasure word to describe this moment is used because of the rarity that unity is with brethren. Cain and Abel, I'm not sure they knew much brotherly unity. Lot and Abraham fought. Joseph's brothers hated him. The only thing they were unified in was killing him. Miriam and Aaron cohorted together to complain and murmur against Moses, and God gave them leprosy. David himself knew through his son Absalom divisiveness and a lack of unity. The Lord and his disciples, not that the Lord was ever wrong in any way, shape, or form, but the disciples murmured and complained. The disciples argued who would be the greatest among their brethren. Even the greatest Christian to ever walk the face of the earth, the Apostle Paul, had some struggle with unity when it came to Barnabas over John Mark. The church of Jesus Christ. When you read Acts chapter 2, after Pentecost, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, 
nine, wonderful unity. But when you go from Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, what book comes next? First Corinthians. The Apostle Paul has to write to a church that's divided and factioned and fractioned and following people and filled with divisiveness and a lack of unity. Why was David amazed with unity? Because unity among brethren is rare. <clears throat> Some of you have experienced this. You have a family member, whether you're married to them, or whether you begot them, or whether you're joined by marriage, and you don't have unity in that relationship. Churches know this as individuals fight, fuss, have a lack of unity. Man is sinful. Man is selfish. And apart from the work of the Holy Spirit of God, man is absent true unity. If you would agree with that, say amen to that. I would submit to you that unity is what God wants for his people. Not a unity that would be of denomination, a unity that would be some type of superficialness, but a unity of the Spirit of God is what God would want for his people corporately, for his church. It's what he wants for your marriage. It's what he wants for your home. It's what he wants for your brethren. Unity would be the word oneness. Satan hates unity. Satan does his best work in divisive and lack of unity groupings. Satan will do what he can to sow discord, to divide, to destroy. He hates unity. No wonder David said it. It's like, it's like getting lost in this beautiful painting or piece of art. So rare is the piece of art that can do that, that people pay millions of dollars for it. And David said, it's good and it's pleasant when brethren dwell together with unity. I would like you to think in your mind right now, is there some Christian in your life that you do not have unity with? How are you unified with your spouse? If I was to come to your home tonight, would I see the beauty of unity? It's interesting how David describes the beauty of unity. He gives two illustrations here. One we're kind of familiar with in the dew of Hermon, but the other one that he gives a description is, is the anointing of oil on Aaron. And, and David gives us a beautiful description here of, 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 of how valuable unity is on the life of people and, and how it works. And he likens it to this moment of anointing. Now, David himself was anointed as king at the springs of Gihon. If you've been to Israel with me, we've been to where David was anointed with oil or close by where David was anointed with oil. And David 
in looking at this scene of unity here between the brethren, goes back and likens it to the most joyous thing he knows. And he talks about here, it's like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down the beard. Even Aaron's beard, what exalted this and took this thought to the next level, that went down to the skirts of his garment. Now, you need to know some things about this anointing. Anointing with oil at this point in time was common in their festivals. It was common for joyous occasions. Um, it was something that would be the emblem of anything that was joyous and happy and beautiful. Um, it, it was the epitome of something that was to be uh, applauded and, and to be enjoyed and, and seen as a blessing is, is what they would do in these anointing moments, whether it would be a festival or whether it would be something individual or whatever. It was the highlight of that ceremony. It brought the focus of everything to it. When you, when you link that to Aaron, who was the high priest of Israel, the highest religious position that they knew, it, it even catapulted. We're talking about nothing higher, more beautiful, joyous than, than this anointing of, of Aaron. The Bible says that it ran down upon the beard, not just the head, but it ran down upon the beard. The idea here is that there was such an abundance of ointment that was poured forth that it would literally descend on the whole person and it, it would consecrate the entire man. It, it says here in verse number two that it, that it went down to the skirts of, of his garment, right? The idea is that the anointing of the oil was abundant enough to flow down, to fall down on his entire robe. So, so here's what David is saying. David is saying that unity is so beautiful and so joyous and so to be celebrated. It's, it, is, it is the epitome of, of happiness. He said the only thing I can liken it to is that it completely runs down the head of the man, his beard, all the way down where he's entirely consecrated. And not just any man. I need you to understand that this is, we're talking about God's man here, which is elevating, elevating unity to something that God and God alone brings to us. Pastor, when I think about a man having oil poured over his head, running down his beard, and running all down his clothes, I, I see a sticky, nasty mess. It's interesting. While I say a couple of things, hold your hands here and go to Exodus 30. This Bible study. Come on. Some things you need to know about oil in the Old Testament, oil in the scripture itself, is oil is always a reference to the Holy Spirit of God. Whenever you come across something that is bathed or poured out or totally consumed, it carries with it the idea of, of a unifying or a unification or a unity. So, so David is talking about the preciousness of unity and he likens it to the oil of the Holy Spirit of God being poured out, consecrating and running down the entire man, his beard and his clothes. He's bathed in this 
oil. Exodus chapter 30, verse number 22. Moreover, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take thou also unto thee principal, what's the word there, class? Spices. Of pure myrrh. Now you've heard of myrrh. That's when the Lord Jesus was born. 500 shekels. And of sweet cinnamon. You didn't even know cinnamon was in the Bible. Half so much, which would be 250 shekels. And of sweet calamus, 250 shekels. And of cassia, 500 shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary. And of olive, oil, olive, and hen. And thou shalt make it in an oil of holy ointment, an ointment compound after the art of the apothecary, which means a fragrance. It shall be a holy anointing oil. And thou shalt anoint the tabernacle of the congregation therewith and the ark of the testimony. So David is giving you a illustration of the beauty of unity. And he wants you to see a man anointed in his head with oil. He wants you to see it drip down his beard and he wants you to watch it run down his clothes into the skirt all the way down to the ground. And he wants you to see him totally bathe in this oil. The Bible would want you to understand oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit of God. David doesn't just want you to stand there and look at that man. He wants you to go and smell him. Because David knows that that holy anointing oil has myrrh sweet cinnamon and all of those spices and the way that he is oiled not only is it a picture of the working of the Holy Spirit of God or the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God but it's also a fragrance of God and so when they would come to the high priest and he was anointed they would see him as a man of God who smelled like God in essence and this is what David is saying to you and to I. This is what unity is. The unity of the Spirit of God. The working of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives that brings you and I as believers as one into Christ, as one into the body. And as the body of Christ is indwelt and sealed and filled with the Holy Spirit of God, there is a unity that that brings to us, and that unity brings about a fragrance, a beautiful fragrance. So when a visitor walks through these doors into our church, he comes in and he looks at us, and he sees the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God and he goes, smells like God in here. 
I would say every church wants to smell like God. And David said, that's what unity does. I go into your home to visit you sometimes in your home. I can take two steps in your home and go, and I've smelled a lot of smells. (laughs) Now, you're lucky I have COVID. I don't smell real well. I don't have it right now, but I had it and destroyed my. But I can be in the presence of you, husband, and your wife. And I can tell if there's unity. I can be in the presence of you as parents and your children. And I can tell if you have been the oil of the Holy Spirit of God has so worked in your spirit that there's the unity of God. David said, it's fascinating and it smells great. The unity of God's people. He gives a second description here. I'll tie this all in in just a second. Not only with a fragrance, but a fruitfulness. Do you have my pictures? He mentions the Mount of Hermon. Been to the Mount. Mount Hermon is located in the north section of Israel. It's up by Caesarea Philippi. Matter of fact, if you've been to Israel with me, we drove by this. And the last time we were there, it was as luscious and green as you've ever seen. Next picture. The Mount Zion. If you've been to Jerusalem, we've been to where Mount Zion was. Now, today it's run down pretty good. The city of Jerusalem is there. It's just outside the the main wall. It doesn't look like it is, but you can see that being in that Judean wilderness part of Israel, that it doesn't hold the green. You can see the dryness of it. You can see the desert look of it, right? So David says, I'll tell you what else unity is like. Unity is like the dew of Hermon. As it has come, look if you would at verse number three, as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. Now you can tell by Zion right there that dew doesn't come on Zion very well at all, right? It's barren. David's making a point here. In in Israel, dew can be so powerful sometimes that it it literally will look like a storm had gone through. And dew on Mount Hermon made Mount Hermon and the surrounding areas as it would run down that mountain and would run down into those fields and run down those places, it brought about a wonderful fruitfulness in that region. Matter of fact, when we were up by Mount Hermon, we were by Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus talked about the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church, and there was rainbow trout right there in the Jordan River. It was beautiful. We went by luscious farms everywhere. They were growing things. When you came down near Mount Zion, the only thing they were growing were date palms, and they had to pump the water into those date palms. Uh, not far from there was the uh, was the oasis of Engedi, where Dady, Dady David hid, and there was a water thing there. And so what what is David trying to say here? David is trying to say, this is is what unity is like. Unity is as beautiful as that dew. And that dew that was on Mount Hermon, I want to see that dew come down to Mount Zion. I want for Zion to know the fruitfulness of, of the region because of the dew of Hermon. Now he's likening dew to unity. So so not only does unity 
spiritual unity, have a fragrance that, that's beautiful and inviting and drawing, it brings about a fruitfulness in the dry, desert, barren lands. Now it's Bible study, so let's take a little walk. Go to Deuteronomy 32, please. Come on, you're going to be blessed by this. Let me rephrase that. You are being blessed by this. Deuteronomy 32. Come on. Pastor, I don't know where that is. It's near the front. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, chapter 32. Look, if you would, please, verse number 1. Moses is writing here, writing to that second generation of Jews, getting ready to go in to the promised land. Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. This is God. Moses is writing what God says. Verse number 2. My doctrine shall drop as the rain. My speech shall distill as the what, class? The dew. As the small rain upon the tender herb and as the showers upon the grass. All right? So David is likening unity to dew. He wants you to see the beauty of dew on Hermon as it falls down and makes the region fruitful. He wants you to see the barrenness of Zion and the longing is that the fruitfulness of Hermon will be in the fruitfulness of Zion. So how does that unity happen? God says and likens in his word Dew is, is likened unto the life-giving word of God, right? So, so here in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse number 2, God himself says that my word is like the life-giving dew. So if I'm going to know unity as a believer, if we're going to know unity in our church, if we're going to know unity in our relationships, then we're going to need to know the life-giving power of the Word of God. Number two, you're still in Deuteronomy 32. Look, if you would, please, at verse 13. He made him ride on the high places of the earth. He might eat the increase of the fields. He made him to suck honey out of the rock and out of the oil, out of the flinty rock. Go to verse number 28. Um, am I in Deuteronomy 32? Yeah. And verse number 28 is my text. I got the wrong verse there. But he's talking about in verse, 30, verse number 13 how the blessing of God brings a fruitfulness in that, from that dew. So the dew is likened to the word of God. God takes this blessedness and increases that from fruitfulness. It comes from dew. Dew brings about an ability for agriculture to grow. And then when you go to the book of Hosea, and I won't turn you there, chapter 14, verse number 5, you will find that it's, it's a way that God refreshes his people through the dew. Pastor, make your point here so I'm not bored and so I can have application. Here's my point. David said... Unity is so rare when you run into it that it just it, it captivates pleasant and goodness. He gives a description of the beauty of that as in its fragrance, and he also gives a description of the beauty of that in its 
fruitfulness. The fragrance is that anointing of the Holy Spirit of God by that oil that's filled with all those sweet spices. And the fruitfulness of that is the dew that runs down those mountains into the region. Hermon had that fruitfulness 200 miles to the north. Zion needs that fruitfulness. Verse number 3 of Psalm 133. Let's close it up. Don't worry. We're going to Ephesians chapter 4. That will really help us close it up. Psalm 133. There, if you see in verse number 3, as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Now David here is speaking of Zion. We know that Zion is the place where God chose life. We know that Zion is the place that God chose his residence. We know that Zion and the millennial kingdom will be the place where God rules and reigns, right? So, so David is letting everybody know that Zion is where God chose life. But when I showed you a picture of Zion, it was barren, it was dry, and it was cracked. But that is where God chose life. That's where eternal life will come from as far as be communicated to the world. Now, you and I, we don't live in Israel, and we don't live in the Bible days. But the place where God has chosen to proclaim eternal life to the world today is not Mount Zion or the people of Zion. It's the church of Jesus Christ. Okay, so let's walk, make our application. A dry and barren and cracked church will not know fruitfulness with eternal life. Any relationship that doesn't have the dew of unity will know barrenness and dryness eventually. And as something that was once fruitful begins to become dry and cracked, it becomes barren. I would submit to you that the reason that the unsaved world has really no desire for the church of Jesus Christ much today is because the lack of unity that is in the church. We don't smell good. And we're dry and cracked, fractioned, divided, divisive. And God's spirit sometimes is quenched by a squabbling church. It's not in a loud quarrel where souls are saved. People can walk into a church and they can tell if you are smell good and they can tell if you're running down with the dew of fruitfulness of unity. Ephesians chapter 4 is our closing verse. I would submit that not only is unity precious when it comes to churches, but it's precious when it comes to your familial relationships, your wife, your children, your families. Now come here to Ephesians chapter 4. Look, if you would, at verse number 1. Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. With all lowliness, meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Now watch verse number three. Endeavoring to keep the, say those next four words please. 
So it's your responsibility, believer, to endeavor, to work, to struggle, to strive, to labor, to keep the unity of the Spirit. Interesting. What would divide or provide unrest or break up the unity of the Spirit? Verse 25 of that chapter, please. Verse 24. Put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, put away lying. Nothing will break the unity of your marriage like lying. Nothing breaks the unity of your parental ability like lying. Nothing hurts a relationship more than lying. And nothing will rob a church of its unity like lying. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. If you're a member of the body of Christ, would you say amen? amen. Verse 26, be angry and sin not. Anger destroys unity. Tempers. Wrong anger. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Boy, a lot of unity has been destroyed because somebody has given place to the devil. Churches have been destroyed that way. Homes have been destroyed that way. Jobs have been destroyed that way. Let him that steal, steal no more. But rather let him labor. Thievery breaks unity. Verse 29. Let no corruption proceed out of your mouth. Words. Words can destroy the unity of a church. Tone can destroy the unity of a church. Words can destroy the relationships. Words, tone can destroy a marriage. Verse 30, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 31, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, Evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So, so David, David is looking at a moment of unity, and it's so rare. He says it's, the pleasure is just unbelievable. He, sa he said, I, I can literally just smell the fragrance of it. The only thing I know to tell you is it's like when Aaron was standing there and completely covered in those spices as he's anointed to God. It just... It's just so fragrant and aroma. It's beautiful. And then I, I think about the dew of Mount Hermon and I think about Zion. I think about the fruitfulness there and what unity can do to bring fruitfulness to a dry, cracked, barren heart or people. And God would say to you and to me as believers in the church age that it is our responsibility once we have the Spirit of God within us and he brings the unity of, him, of the Godhead into us, we are to endeavor to keep that unity in our church. Amen. And we won't have it in our church if you don't have it in your home. Because really and truthfully, you bring your home and I bring my home into this church. 
Sometimes I think I preach to people that are married and they're sitting together, but they're so far apart. Paul said, these are the things that strip us of our unity. What keeps unity? Verse 32, please. And be ye, what class? Kind. One to another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake. Would you finish that verse, please? Has forgiven you. It is with great joy that I can announce to in this message that I do believe that Plantation Baptist Church is a place of wonderful unity of the Spirit of God. But you and I have a responsibility to endeavor to keep that unity. Not only do we have a responsibility to endeavor to keep that unity inside our church. But we have a responsibility to keep spiritual unity inside of our marriage, inside of our home, inside of our job, inside of our family relationships. The way that we destroy unity among the brethren, anger, malice, clamor, evil speaking, bitterness, all of those things. The way that unity is, is kept is somebody has to stay kind Somebody has to stay tender-hearted, and somebody has to stay forgiving. Pastor, if you knew what I was dealing with, that's impossible. Yeah, but Paul just took his proverbial fist and punched us right in the face, didn't he? And here's what he said. Yeah, but that's what God did to you. Because you and I would not know unity with God apart from Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how beautiful, how pleasant, how good for brethren. On that level, it was a national brethren, and it is good when America is unified. Well, it was also a spiritual Unity in the church of Jesus Christ. In all relationships, where there's a brethrenness for the believer, that's anybody that's saved, there should be unity in every relationship between Christian and Christian. It's beautiful. It's fragrant, it's fruitful. It makes people want what happened to us to happen to them. They come into our churches, they come into our homes, and they smell God. They see the work of God. They see the unifying of people from every race, color, creed, nation, tongue, culture, made one by the blood of Jesus Christ. No wonder, David said, it's like staring into a beautiful piece of art, for that is the work the Holy Spirit of God does in us. Lord, tonight somebody's been listening to the message and they need to be the one to be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving. They need to want, be the one to salvage unity. They need to be the one to humble themselves. And when they say that's impossible, 
may they be reminded that that's what you did for us, and in you, nothing is impossible. May we continue to know wonderful unity at Plantation Baptist Church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. All right, wonderful little devotional. Stand, if you would, please. Just the closer walk with thee, granite Lord, if you please. Let's stand. Let's sing one verse to go home. Thank you for being in Bible study. God bless you and see you on Sunday as we add to our faith patience. I am weak, but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied as long as I walk. Let me walk close to thee, just a closer walk with thee. Granted, Jesus is my plea. Daily walking close to Thee, let it be, dear Lord, let it be. Good night, God bless you, you are dismissed.